Welcome to the Straight to the Cut podcast, hosted by Moses Ola. Your new home, your new home, your new home of the NBA. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! With six tenths of a second remaining. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala. Up for the last. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Straight to the Cup podcast. I am your host, Moses Ola, and I welcome you to a uh, free agency, trade, post-draft, extravaganza, bonanza. You know, we have quite a lot to get into in today's episode. Uh, my apologies for not having an episode after the draft and uh, as soon as free agency started. What happened is, you know, the NBA, okay? You have a situation in which uh, deals are coming in left, right and center. Updates are coming in every second, whether it's a Woj bomb or a Shams bomb or whatever is going on. Um, you cannot actually have the time to record an episode uh, because whatever you say might change within the next three minutes. So I was looking for a, uh, some time to just have a bit of respite, just um, uh, some serenity in the NBA. You know, that doesn't really ever happen. But now into day four of free agency, uh, we're starting to see the major deals have gone on. And now it's just like, you know, the little scrap steals like free agents here and there. Those on vet mains, vet minimum contracts and, um, you know, two way deals, all these sort of things. So now pretty much all the major deals have been sorted. It's a good time to have a recap of what's happened over the past few days, who are some of the biggest winners, some of the biggest losers. But before we get into all of that, I'm sure you're excited for, uh, what's in my cup today? So just another bottle of red, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon uh, from South of Australia, actually. So this is gonna do me really nicely for this podcast. I actually had a, a fair bit before the podcast started, so... Um, yeah, hopefully we can maintain composure throughout the entire episode. But yeah, you know, a lot of things have gone on. A lot of things have gone on um, over the past few days, right? We already had um, trades that went on from the NBA draft. So uh, post-draft, we had some trades like um, with the Lakers and Dennis Schroeder um, trading Danny Green to OKC. And then Danny Green then getting traded to the Sixers alongside with uh, Seth Curry as well. So, you know, trades have already been going on, right? So in-season trades have already started. But then when free agency opened on Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 11 p.m. our time um, in the UK, you know, that's when you had real movement, right? That's when you had major, major implications, um, you know, of certain players going to, uh, say, so like, you know, big names, like, let's say, Sergi Barker, or, you know, you've had uh, Montrez Harrell, you know, so actual useful players um, for a lot of championship contenders, teams that went too close or, you know, Lakers that want to wanting to try and retain their title. You've got teams that are rebuilding, such as the Hawks. Um, I don't know what the Pistons are doing, but we can call it rebuilding. Um, you know, you had the Celtics who had some holes in the squad that they needed to fix. So what we're going to do in this episode is just go through uh, some of these teams and discuss what what were the teams doing? You know, think what were they thinking of going into the uh, free agency period? What they've done to address some of the squad issues, and if we think they are now better suited to challenge for next season, we're not going to go through all the teams, and this is by no means an episode which is a deep dive into every single team in the NBA. Um, Towards the start of the season, we are going to have more deep dives into relevant teams. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the Knicks because I'm not going to waste my time and I'm not going to waste your time either. But we are going to go some deep dives into some meaningful teams that we think can uh, be of relevance uh, next season. But this this episode is just to have an overview of what some of the teams did. Um, and there's no better place to start than with the reigning uh, NBA champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. So uh, this is a team that, you know, dominated throughout the entire playoffs last year, right? So they, they only lost five games, 
right, throughout the entire playoffs. Um, and this is a team that going into the playoffs last season, a lot of people within uh, during the regular season had a lot of questions on, you know, holes within the team, right? So there were some issues with secondary um playmaking so once LeBron's not on the court or if LeBron wants to take a rest and not be on the ball all the time they didn't really have um, other players that could do that but fortunately playoff Rondo Rajon Rondo stepped up um, and was able to provide that secondary playmaking for the Los Angeles Lakers you know they also had issues with shooting this is a team that only averaged I think 33-34% on threes uh going into the playoffs they were 26th in the league on uh threes and but, but what you found out was that they were a team that you know when they only when they hit 33% or more on threes in a game in a given game you know they would win these games i think their their record go in games where they hit more than 33% was like 15 and 0 so they want a great shooting team but because of how much they dominated on the inside they were able to get away with it but how much more do you want to keep that formula okay you know how much of a reliance do you want to put on lebron james and anthony davis you know pounding on the inside getting the offensive glass because the, the lakers were a big strong physical team and that's why they were able to bully teams even when they didn't shoot the ball that well but we all know you know this is a formula that's been uh since the uh, lebron's first stint with the Cavs surround him with shooting you make his life easier and you make the life of the team easier in general so in addition to that they also like i said they needed the secondary um uh playmaking you know with rondo not knowing or if he was going to stay if he was going to leave and he ha has eventually left so they needed to uh to sort that out as well and then also they had issues with you know bench scoring okay in general bench scoring um and then their bigs as well right so some of their centers um that would play alongside anthony davis when it came to the playoffs he found that you know some of these guys couldn't actually play meaningful playoff minutes so there was quite a lot there for the los angeles lakers to um sort out in free agency so what did they do so out goes danny green to philadelphia avery bradley to miami dwight howard right to philadelphia uh, Queen Cook, who was waived, uh, and Rajan Rondo, who they lost in free agency to the Atlanta Hawks. And in comes the reigning six-man of the year, Montrez Harrell, the second in six-man of the year voting in Dennis Schroeder, free agent wing, uh, wing player, so a um, small forward that basically can defend similar, you know, guys as well, similar small forwards, six, seven, six, eight guys uh, in Wes Matthews, and then they re-signed KCP. And honestly, seeing where the Lakers, and, and as, as of today, actually, a few hours ago, they also signed Marc Gasol uh, in free agency to the vet minimum contract. And, and seeing, you know, what the Lakers had to deal with going into free agency, not really having cap space um or the ability to you know do too much um and not have that much wiggle room right unless they and not having that many favorable contracts they could trade away for example let's say you know Kyle Kuzma is only earning three mil right if you want to get a higher value replacement player they're going to already be earning way more than three million so you can't trade that contract away so you know rob palinka the gm of the lakers had a lot to work with um sorry did not have a lot, lot to work with but has somehow been able to retain the core of uh, uh core group of guys whilst adding and fixing some of the holes they need. In addition, they've also re-signed Markeith Morris uh, as well to the vet minimum contract, keeping him in as another floor spacer, um, big, you know, somebody that can play the four position or the five position as well in situational playoff games. So for me, I think alongside with the Atlanta Hawks and the Portland Trail Blazers, um, I think the Lakers have probably done some of the best business in the league and you know the rich have gotten richer you know the best have gotten better because you look at the two guys that they were able to get the the two main uh pieces for the bench which are dennis schroeder and montrez harrell okay 
Dennis Schroeder, what does he provide? Okay, he, he, he provides that so secondary ball handling option. Another threat in the pick and roll and somebody who's good on wide open catch and shoot threes. Okay, what were the Lakers great at doing last year? Generating wide open looks, right? When you have LeBron James and you have Anthony Davis, they're gonna generate wide open looks. They're gonna draw double teams. They're gonna have the attention of all the defense. Everyone's eyes are gonna be on them. And LeBron, you know, is a great playmaker. He averaged over 10 assists last season and he'll be able to find wide, wide open guys. You know, Schroeder also offers uh, some defending from the point guard position, not to the level of, let's say, Avery Bradley, Caruso or Rondo, who's left. Um, but he definitely fights and competes on that end and he will be able to you know, hold his own. He did very well uh, with the uh, okay, Oklahoma City Thunder uh, last year. He was part of the uh, closing lineup that had the best net rating in the league alongside him, Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Gallinari, um, and I forget who the last player was. I think it was Lou Dort or somebody similar. So, you know, this is a player here that's dynamic and he averaged, what, 18 and a half points off the bench last season, right? Now, adding Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder gives you 37 and a half points per game off the bench. Okay, gone are the days, hopefully, where LeBron James will take a sit while the Lakers, you know, will take a seat while the Lakers are up. 10 or 15 and he'll come back into the ball game and the Lakers are either tied or down three. Okay, these are the things that happened um, during the regular season. As much as and as great as Rajan Rondo was in the playoffs, in the regular season, he was a below replacement value player. Okay, which basically means that if you got any replacement value player in the NBA from the G League or whatever, right, just a replacement value player, they would have been better than Rajan Rondo in last seasons, uh, in the regular season. So definitely, you know, Schroeder offers um, another scoring threat, somebody who can get in that pick and roll game with um, AD, you know, with lobs. He had a great pick and roll game with Steven Adams last year. Um, and, you know, in kickouts, when Lakers kick the ball out and they swing, swing, you know, get it to Dennis Schroeder, he can either drive because he has speed, right? Or he can shoot that open three. He had his best season in shooting last year, I think about 38%, which is an aberration compared to where he has been for average for his career of 33%. But you have a situation now, though, where this is a player that gives the Lakers a different option um on the court of where they want to, how they want to play, they not everything has to go through LeBron James, and also with Montrez Harrell, you have a situation where okay, who have they replaced him for? Dwight Howard and Javale McGee, essentially. Um, now, if you tell me, if you're, if you're, you know, let's be straight faced here. Dwight Howard and Javale McGee are not better than Mark Gasol and um, Montrezl Harrell. No matter what people might think in terms of how Montrezl Harrell performed last year in the playoffs against Nikola Jokic and how he struggled um, in the playoffs because of Jokic's size and his dominance, the way to, the, you know, his ability to pass the ball and find open men, um, his ability to put the ball on the ground and hit open shots, right? And also that pick and roll game with Jamal Murray. Montrezl Harrell is not going to be the first big, first center that, you know, struggles with that. So you have a situation where he was exposed, okay? But why was he exposed? I think he was exposed uh, due to... Uh, uh, a lack of scheming, a lack of adjustment, and also just that Clippers team melted, right? They were up 3-1, let's not forget. Um, and then they melted, they collapsed. So to me, I don't think one player series takes away the fact that Montrezl Harrell has been, what, top three in six man of the year voting two, two years running. Um, won, won it last year, you know, provides 19 points scoring off the bench. Right, 19 points off the bench uh, per game. 
you know, this is somebody who is known as a hustler around the league, but he struggles. Where where does he struggle? He struggles with defense and rebounding. Why does he struggle with that? Because of his size. He's six foot seven, playing the center position against a you know a league that that position you know has probably an average height of six ten, six eleven or above. Okay, so he's gonna struggle when he is the only big quote unquote in the team which was the case with the Clippers last year. This season, he's going in next to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, right? Anthony Davis is, to me, the best defensive player in the league. You know, in terms of his IQ, help defense, ability to guard the pick and the roller, you know, in the pick and roll, great hand placement, ability to block shots, contest shots, intimidate um. Um, you know, uh, opposing players. So you will find a situation where Anthony Davis will be able to make up for the defense for the deficiencies of Montrez Harrell. Now, what do I want to see from Montrez Harrell for him to be a net positive contributor? We want to utilize your speed, okay? As uh, and I'm saying this as a Lakers fan, right? So no bias in my analysis. But I can say we because I am a Lakers fan. Uh, but what do we want to see? Yes, we want to see uh, Montrezl Harrell being used in positions where we can utilize his strengths, right? So, for example, if there's a situation where um, there is a mismatch uh, on a guard or on Montrez himself, okay? If the Lakers have to double and then there's a kick out, we need Montrez Harrell's speed in the rotation. Okay, right. If there's a situation where, um, you know, he's having to guard against, you know, uh, let's say a shooting guard or a point guard, right? He needs to be able to use his speed, his versatility, his ability to hopefully defend multiple positions as an advantage. Yes, he might get, you know. Uh, struggle. He might struggle if he's up against Jokic, but in the regular season, he's not going to be up against Jokic every night. He's going to face Jokic four times in the league. Okay, this season, um, and then in the playoffs, who knows if you'll get against Jokic? And if he does get against Jokic, he's got Anthony Davis right beside him. Now, what are the positives that Montrezl Harrell is going to bring? He's going to bring scoring. He's going to bring uh, the the opportunity to post up. Um, you know, use his nice his quick first step to. Um, you know, go past opposing centers, bully them on the inside. He's going to be a lob threat. He's going to be somebody that they can dump off the ball to in the dunker spot when LeBron's driving to the rim. And he can be able to use, like, let's say, a, 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 a shot fake um, to, to be able to finish. He's good at finishing around the rim, okay? So definitely, in terms of an improvement to McGee and Dwight Howard, you got to a situation where, in the playoffs, McGee and Dwight Howard could not play extensive minutes from the Trailblazers series. So at least now with Mark Gasol and uh, Montrose Harrell, you actually have centers that can be used, actually used in the playoff setting and can play meaningful minutes, whether it's 10, 15 minutes a night, you know, with AD still playing at the five, probably in crunch time, right? You still have, you know, for the other 40 odd minutes, okay, the, 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 the defensive burden on AD playing that, center position reduced because you saw towards the end of the playoffs this guy was limping right you know whether i think he had the the, the injury with this heel and you want to minimize the amount of times and the amount of stress that you're putting on anthony davis having to you know defend the best player on the on the um uh, defensive end and then also be the lakers first scoring option uh going forward so what does mark gasol bring as well you know he brings some defense um he brings an ability to uh make passes make you know passes to wide open um uh shooters either from the post or from the short roll what do i mean from the short roll so when players get into a pick and roll you find a situation where as a roller Mark Gasol does not have the athleticism of uh, Dwight Howard or Jamel McGee, but what he does have is vision and pass accuracy. He's going to be able to find, you know, wide open shooters if somebody comes in to help on Gasol. Um, what other things that come to my mind immediately about the addition of Gasol? For me, it's um, 
the lack of foot speed okay you have a situation where the lakers want to be the best fast break team in the league um but then this is where mark gasol can help he can come in as the trailing center to um spread the floor right so you can have a situation where lakers are on a fast break and mark gasol's trailing the team and he gets a wide open look at the top of the key okay so these are opportunities in which you can minimize his weaknesses of not being able to run the floor like lebron james will or anthony davis will uh but he will be able to you know spread the floor okay he will be able to provide spacing sort of as like Brooke Lopez does for the Milwaukee Bucks and having a center that can spread the floor is very very key compared to what they had what the Lakers had last season you know there were many minutes where Rondo LeBron James and Dwight Howard would be sharing the court at the same time that's unacceptable okay now it's going to be Schroeder LeBron James Mark Gasol or Schroeder LeBron James Montrez Harrell okay so these are the big big uh improvements to the team in terms of the holes and then again they were able to re-sign kcp they were able to um sort out issues with um markeith morris's contract so he was able to re-sign on the vet veterans minimum contract um so you know all in all i think very very good deal for the Los Angeles, very, very good dealing, sorry, for the Los Angeles Lakers, Wesley Matthews, okay, this is somebody who can, you know, defend isolations, okay, um, in terms of, look, he's not coming in to stop KD and Kawhi Leonard of the world, but he can be a pest defensively, okay, he can get his hands in, he can, you know, move on defense um, laterally, uh, to the point where okay he can get a good shot contest up and those guys will get their buckets regardless and lebron james you can expect lebron to still be guarding the opposing best team's best player in crunch time minutes but you know for 40 odd minutes you expect the lakers to rely on wesley matthews or kyle kuzma or markeith morris um kcp as well to defend um the opposing star players so for me, I think, you know, the Lakers going into the season, this is it. You don't ever get to a position. This is one of the mistakes a lot of GMs make, which is what Daryl Morey has talked about. A lot of GMs think that they they need to get the team to be the best team possible um, by day one. Okay. But what you actually have happen is that you want to keep your team flexible going into the trade deadline after the all-star break and ability to actually make further trades before the playoffs now the lakers have gotten rid of um invaluable contracts with javel mcgee and dwight howard and rajon rondo and have got in you know expiring contracts right that expire by the end of 2021 uh season but these can still be traded you know montrez harrell if you if you don't feel like it's working out there are teams that still want him the new york knicks or you know the charlotte hornets all these all these sort of teams that still wanted a player like montrez harrell so for me it's about keeping your team flexible keeping your team uh you know having favorable contracts right that you can still deal with um later in the future so to me you know this this um off season has for me solidified lakers being the top pick out of the western conference unfortunately with golden state you had the injury with clay thompson um you know the denver nuggets have lost uh jeremy grant um, and we're going to go into some of these teams going forward but you know the Clippers yes they might have gotten stronger because of Ibaka but they also lost Harrell uh, they haven't fixed their point guard position so to me the Lakers are definitely the favorite going into the season but let's now look at some of these other Western Conference teams and you know one one team that I really want to look at um, is the Portland Trailblazers okay now Many of you listening might not know too much about um, the Trailblazers as a team. They're a small market team. They're not a team that's well known. Some of their stars like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are known. But the rest of the team and how they deal and you know whatever isn't that well known. Um, 
for those that don't follow the league uh, that closely. But the Portland Trail Blazers are a team that are very competitive year in, year out in the in the Western Conference uh, since they've had since they drafted Damian Lillard. Um last season they snuck into the eighth spot, but they did so, you know, having one of the greatest offenses in NBA history in terms of just offensive rating and how many points per possession they were able to score. Um and it was pretty much down to Damian Lillard being Superman, dropping 50 points, 60 points, 61 points, 55 points, you know, last minute buzzer beating threes and whatnot and shooting from the logo. But you really saw the deficiencies of the team once you got to the playoffs. They did not have depth. Right now, some of this was due to injuries. So you had injuries to key players like Zach Collins and Rodney Hood. Um, Nurkic was coming back from his own injury. But at the same time, they just did not have um, enough wing depth. Ariza didn't come to the bubble. Um, so, so you had a situation where, you know, the Lakers pretty much obliterated them because there was nobody that could at least make life hard for LeBron James or Anthony Davis. So, out goes Trevor Ariza, Hassan Whiteside, Mario Hazonia. And in comes Robert Covington in a trade with the Houston Rockets. Rodney Hood resigns two years, 21 million. You got Melo to resign for a one-year veterans minimum. Derek Jones Jr., this is a, you know, a, a good contract from um, the Miami Heat. Again, wing depth and then Ennis Cantor. So to me, I feel that the Trailblazers are going to definitely improve from a defensive standpoint, okay? Because when you add wings like Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, uh, that can play either that um, power forward spot, small forward spot, you know, you'll have a situation where you're not asking Melo to guard LeBron James, okay? We can't be asking the 35-year-old, 36-year-old Carmelo Anthony in his 18th season in the league or 17th season in the league um, to be guarding LeBron James, okay? You know, this guy was only taken off the scrap heap um, halfway through last season and he found himself in the playoffs having to guard LeBron James. That's not acceptable, okay? So now at least you, you have a situation where Covington can guard you know, opposing wings and stretch the floor. Okay, when he came when he came to the Rockets last season, Covington, I think he um, in his best stretch, right? He was shooting, you know, 44 percent, something crazy, um, at the start of the season. Sorry, at the start of the playoffs, uh, going into from the bubble into the playoffs. But then you also just just found that you know the small ball, micro ball experiment had its limitations and when you're asking when you're asking uh covington to guard anthony davis on a switch he's not going to be able to do that but you know uh the the portland trailblazers do still have nurkic hopefully zach collins can be healthy for a while uh you know you had some good bench players so uh, gary trent jr definitely showed up in the bubble and he was able to do well but the only thing that i would say where the trailblazers still need some improvement is that backup point guard position currently you only have anthony simons who can play in that backup point guard position and to me uh, that's just really not good enough but hopefully by re-signing rodney hood who was coming off a, an injury um you can you can have you know veterans that actually can handle the ball take the pressure off of anthony simons and be able to get some good bench production Derek jones jr i like this i like this uh free agent signing for them you know i think they use the mid-level exception the full mid-level exception um right there for Derek jones jr um and they're able to with him have somebody that an additional pick and roll threat with Damian Lillard because of his athleticism, okay, and his ability also on the glass to get offensive rebounds, um, and also to guard. I think last year was pretty much his breakout season for me, Derek Jones Jr. And hopefully this year he can get more minutes under his belt and actually show what he's completely capable of in a full rotation. So Portland Trailblazers really liked what they did. Um, and then also, you know, the Denver Nuggets, okay? Now, it's a bit of a mixed off-season here for the Denver Nuggets. Why do I say this? Because to me, I think they pretty much had one priority, 
and that was to run it back okay because you had a situation where you have a lot of promising young talent okay whether it's ball ball uh, Michael Porter Jr. Obviously, you still have Murray and Jokic, who are the experienced members of the team, but you forget, you know, they're still in their mid-20s. Um, you know, you had Jeremy Grant, who's also in his mid-20s as well. You know, you had a good young core, right? You have PJ Dozier, who's coming up. Um, you know, I might be forgetting somebody right now, but this is a team that has promise in the next four to five years in my opinion so how do you want to keep building this team and also not being you know not trying to rush any of these guys in their development because to me i think porter jr is probably two or three years away in terms of that defensive consistency that ability to actually be a net positive player on the floor for me it was about re-signing jeremy grant keeping the starting five or the closing five the same Okay, and looking to improve when it comes to 2021 free agency, whether it's Bradley Beal or, you know, whoever else you can get. Maybe you can somehow go and get Giannis. Who knows? I, I'm just I'm just contemplating at this point. But you have a situation where Denver went into the season with kind of a, you know, we're not going to touch any of these guys from a trade standpoint. And that's understandable. You don't want to trade Michael Porter Jr. because you've only just seen what he's capable of. And to me, you know, that guy's his, you know, the, 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 the sky's the limit for him. And I understand why I didn't want to trade him. But then you have to retain guys like Jeremy Grant. And it was unfortunate for them that, you know, Jeremy Grant said, look, I don't want to resign. And I kind of understand why, because Denver, in so, so Jeremy Grant uh, went to the Detroit Pistons for three years, 60 million. Now, apparently, because Der uh, Jeremy Grant is a restricted free agent, the Nuggets had the chance to match that offer um, before he was let go basically so Jeremy Grant had the choice to make either he resigns with the Denver Nuggets or he goes to the Detroit Pistons and I think from a player standpoint Jeremy Grant probably looked at himself and his performances in the playoffs and thought to himself I can be a star in this league and can I be that star next to Jokic and Jamal Murray probably not in terms of what is your role in this team? It's 3 and D. It's, you know, provide great defense, lock down uh, the opposing star player, and pretty much go stand in the corner and wait for the kick out after the Murray Jokic pick and roll, right? And, you know, this is it, right? The, the best way to make money in this league is to be 3 and D, okay? You're going to probably get a great deal like Jeremy Grant just did, 20 million a year, or what Davis Bertans got, five years, 80 million or 75 million. Joe Harris got uh, four years, 75 million. So, you know, if you're if you're an NBA parent and you're growing up, what's the best way to guarantee making money in this league? Teach your kid to shoot the three and teach your kid to defend, okay? It's the surefire way of making money. It's not simple. It's the hardest thing to do, right? But it's, it's better than growing up, you know, wishing for the talent to either jump out the gym or be able to dribble past six guys and give, you know, get 21 points and 10 assists a night. Not everyone's going to be able to do that. Not everyone's born with LeBron James's talent. So what, what are you going to do? Learn to defend, learn to hit threes. And Jeremy Grant did that to a T last season. But I think he's probably in a position in his career where he's saying, look, I probably have one more contract left in this league, one more big contract. Let me put myself in a position where I can show the league that I can be a star. I can have more impact on the ball, um, be a playmaker myself. And look, on a dumpster franchise like the Detroit Pistons, you're going to get the opportunities to do so. Now, you know, going past Jeremy Grant not re-signing, what did the Nuggets do? They re-signed Paul Millsap, one year, 10 million. Jermichael Green, they managed to get him from the Clippers, right? See, everyone leaving the, leaving the Clippers nowadays. Okay, Jermichael Green, two years, 15 million. So the, the, the overall verdict really of this is that, okay, 
you're able to re replace Jeremy Grant from a po you know, positional point of view. Jo uh, Jermichael Green can offer you minutes at the four and at the five, um, especially due to the fact that you lost uh, Plumlee. Uh, and then you also lost uh, Tory Craig. Okay, you know, Tory Craig... Of course, he wasn't offering them as much on the offensive side of the ball, but he was somebody on the defensive end that was a big part of the reason they got the turnaround against the Clippers, taking on matchups against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, even Lou Williams at times. So, you know, these are these are very, very important players as part of their rotation. So what I want to see from the Nuggets going forward is, OK, you've lost two key players there in your defensives on the defensive end but i think you've gotten better offensively jermichael green can stretch the floor better than jeremy grant and tory craig right now the main thing is the development of some of these young guys doja right you know he's a point guard right but he's like what six foot six six foot you know seven something like that right can he grow into a wing stopper uh somebody who can give you good defensive minutes can michael porter jr grow on the defensive end to the point where he's just not a liability on the floor um and you know ball ball probably comes into the into the rotation as well and and gives you some minutes as a backup center what can he do in terms of his um athletic uh development and his physical uh development as well so definitely not the worst case scenario i think for denver you still have you know some um favorable contracts that you can trade away whether it's gary harris or i've forgotten who was there um or monte morris as well um off the bench you know you still have an ability to go and get that third star or still have the time to develop your own third star okay so after the denver nuggets right so you know to me, I, I still think that the power, the balance of, of, of the Western Conference goes from the Lakers, um, you know, to, to the Clippers, to the Nuggets, and then maybe the, the Portland Trailblazers. But that two and three spot is definitely um, give and take. You know, we still need to see what the Clippers do uh, this season. And why not? Let's, let's talk about them so much. So um, they were able to get rid of Montres Harrell, Jermichael Green. Uh, Rodney Magruder, Landry Shamit in a trade, but in comes Serge Ibaka for the mid-level exception. They re-signed Patrick Patterson, they re-signed Marcos Morris, and also Luke Kennard in the trade of Landry Shamit uh, to Brooklyn. So to me, you know, the key thing for the Clippers was finding a center who can actually give them good rim protection okay that was the issue rim protection you needed somebody that can guard a Jokic or an anthony davis because look this is the thing the clippers didn't face the lakers in the playoffs but if they did if Jokic was able to do what he did to montrez what do you think ad would have done you know what 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 do we think ad would have done because you know you had a situation where Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they don't want to play the power forward position. They can't, you know, as much as they want to guard a Jokic, they just can't. They don't have the um, lower body strength to do so like a LeBron James can. Um, you know, they're not built like 6'9", 260, okay? And there were some minutes where... You, Leonard tried to guard Jokic, but he still needs the double team. He can't take him um, on his own. So you had a situation where they needed to sort out that five position. And in comes Serge Ibaka. Now, what does Serge Ibaka give them? Serge Ibaka is a player who, for the Toronto Raptors, has been, to me, exceptional and has justified the deal that they gave him before uh, free agency now. He's going to be able to guard some of the bigger centers. He, you know, Ibaka himself is not the biggest center. I think he's what six nine, six ten, but he's going to give you um, actual rim protection, ability to block shots uh, on the help defense point of view. But also, you know, he's not going to foul as much, right? This is somebody that I think is is has been uh, year in year out especially in his younger days uh, with OKC and also with the Orlando Magic, somebody who 
has been uh, in top three, top five of Defensive Player of the Year uh, voting as well. So, and then he's going to also be able to to uh, space the floor as well. He shot his best career, sorry, his career high with the Raptors last season from three, and he's going to get the wide open looks because you have Kawhi Leonard and you have Paul George. So to me, I think that that that. Um, starting lineup or closing lineup definitely improves with Ibaka on the court, but at what cost? Okay, at the cost of depth, right? Unfortunately for the Clippers, they weren't able to retain Jermichael Green, who was an important part of their uh, wing rotation or big rotation, if you want to class Jermichael Green as a wing or as a big. And to me, you know, the, the the main strength of the Clippers last year was their depth. Okay, you had situations where uh the the Clippers were strong because you knew okay on a given night either it's Lou Will or it's Montrez or uh Jermichael Green can get you some uh buckets or Landry Shamet can get hot. You know these are players that were very important for them in the regular season and. I just want to see how the Lakers replace some of that. So what they've done is uh, with Luke Kennard. So Luke Kennard is a player from uh, the Pistons who can act as that um, playmaker off the bench. Also a very elite three-point shooting threat. Um, so he definitely helps them from a guard perspective um, off the bench. But that, that wing rotation still needs some addressing as they go into the season Um and then also, you know, who, so right now at the five position, you would have uh, Zubats as well as Ibaka. Ibaka can also play some of the four as well. So playing some power forward minutes. So maybe you, because of the versatility of Ibaka, you're saying, yes, we lost Jamaica Green. Yes, we lost Montrezl Harrell. But Ibaka can also play some of, you know, some minutes at the four. So that versatility is going to help them into the playoffs. And end of the day, when you get into the playoffs, you're only going to have a nine-man rotation anyway. It's just in the regular season, what can they do to, um, you know, preserve basically the health of these guys and make sure they're not playing 40 minutes a night in the regular season because nobody wants that. And then you also want a position where, okay, They've still not been able to sort out their point guard issues. So for me, Russell Westbrook is one person that they've been talking about of, of getting. Maybe they can get a trade um, to Houston. But I just don't know how Houston accepts a trade of, you know, Lou Will and Zubat and yeah, some scraps, basically. Right. So, you know, for me, the Houston Rockets um, could trade Russell Westbrook, but. They needs to they need to get some value back and the Clippers have lost pretty much all their picks in the trade for Paul George and aren't able to offer um, picks as compensation as well for the trade so it's definitely going to be very difficult unless maybe Westbrook can secure a buyout or something like that but I doubt he will because that boy is earning 133 million over the next three years and I'm not saying no and he's not saying no to 133 million over the next three years. Um, and then in addition, they were able to, you know, re-sign Marcus Morris. That's somebody else that's very key for them um, in their wing rotation. Somebody who can knock down wide open threes. I think he showed about 45% last season uh, from three. So I think the Clippers, being able to retain their core of Kawhi, uh, Paul George, Lou Will, Marcus Morris there, you know, very, very key, very important, um, you know, but my thing is just this, okay, how can they improve that point guard position? Because Patrick Beverly is not the answer. Luke Kennard can play some minutes at the one, but to me, he is a, he's a shooting guard, right? But um, hopefully, look, with with the ability to just have some playmaking for a few minutes um, a night, definitely I think he can do that. They lost out on Rajan Rondo, who got a big deal with the Hawks, uh, who we're going to touch on next. So, you know, th there's still some issues. But like I said earlier, you don't need to sort your roster issues by day one of the season. Get towards the end of because you don't know what can happen. You don't know who can get waived. You don't know who can get cut. You don't know who can um, uh, request a trade. You don't know what can become available all right, into the season. So 
definitely a lot of work for the Clippers still to do uh, from that depth standpoint as well as point guard. But I do think their closing lineup has definitely gone a whole lot better. Now, another big winner for me in this uh free agency market has been the Atlanta Hawks. Now, this is a team that uh, did not make the playoffs last season. I think they finished uh, 14th in the standings or 13th in the standings. You know, woeful year. Uh, I don't even know how many games they won because they were that irrelevant. But you have a generational point guard in Trae Young who dropped 29 and 11 last year in his second year in the league. Okay, these are the sort of blessings, you know, that you... you, you sometimes you know have that fall onto you um when you're a losing franchise because you get good picks but the most important thing for the hawks is building a culture that can start winning games right building a culture that can start winning games because it's all well and good having an all-star point guard in the second season of the league on your team right but what's the point when you're only winning 15 games a year it's all well and good holding draft picks and doing the whole the, of the process and, you know, getting Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter and John Collins and all these guys and Onyeko Kongwu. But you can't keep, you know, stinking up the joint night night out. And what, what were the reasons for Atlanta Hawks, you know, lack of uh, competitiveness, I think, in the league? youth definitely is number one you know you have uh, a lot of rookies within their rotation hunter reddish um you know second year guys in herter um and 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 trey young but the most damning thing really is just their defensive inability the inability for anybody on that team to get any stops right trey young probably the worst on ball defender in the league Part of it's to do with his size. Part of it's to do with effort. Okay, you know, let's see, let's see this team. Okay, actually have some gumption. You know, some will, some determination to actually try and go out and defend on on a nightly basis. Now, what did they already do? What did they do to do that? Um, last season, they actually already traded Capella midway through the season when the. Um, when the Houston Rockets were trying to get uh, Covington, they were they were in like a four four team trade, something crazy that got Capella to the Hawks. Um, so you know Capella is definitely going to get them some rim protection, rebounding from the the center position from the five spot, um, and hopefully be somewhat of a defensive anchor. He's still quite young; he's still only 25, 26 years old, I think Capella, um, and he will be able to at least the last line of defense even if guys are blown by you know Trey Young and Kevin Herter every single night but definitely I think that was one issue that they had to solve last season and they were able to do it but then additionally they needed to get actual rotation level NBA players right as much as we like Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter and, you know, some of these young guys, Bruno Fernando, for example, as rookies in general, you will struggle to find a rookie, especially not one that's taken in the top three picks, that is, of, you know, above replacement level, that is actually good at basketball and at an NBA level, okay? You will struggle to do that league wide, right? This is you know you can read the stats on this. Um, you know some of the some of the great uh, articles that I've read on the Athletic about this. You know, it's difficult once you get past the top three, top five picks to find guys that can impact your team from day one. Okay, of course you're gonna get the um, aberrations like Donovan Mitchell or um, you know other guys that are taken in the. 13th pick or 10th pick or 15th pick like a Jokic or Giannis or whatever they're able to contribute Kawhi Leonard they're able to contribute you know as as soon as they come into the league but most times it's because they're on good franchises with stars around them and they can have you know their own limited role Atlanta Hawks are asking Cam Reddish to play 25 
20 to 30 minutes a night. Somebody that's learning the league, learning how to play, you're not going to win many games. So the most important thing for them was to sort out actually having NBA level guys. So what did they do this offseason? Out goes Dwayne Dedman uh, in a trade. Uh, and, and then I think he was waived after that uh, by the, I think, was it the Kings that got him in the trade? Uh, and then uh, Vince Carter also retired. But in comes Tony Snell, Kyrie Thomas, Danilo Gallinari, Rajan Rondo, Chris Dunn, and still the option, the possibility, we have to look out for this. I mean, might even have a wage bomb as I'm talking, but we have to look out for this. Uh, they might still be able to bring Bogdan Bogdanovich. But, you know, this is a team now to me that actually represents uh, an NBA team and ability to actually be able to go out on a nightly basis and compete right they were able to sort out the second so the backup point guard position with rajan rondo okay this is somebody that can give you 20 minutes a night behind trey young he can mentor trey young he can um you know teach trey young to be better defensively especially for a small point guard even though rajan rondo is definitely more athletic strong uh built than trey young but you know that's good veteran leadership on the team somebody that can hold some of these rookies accountable right so they sorted out that point guard position definitely this is the thing though with with rajon rondo right everyone everyone was um really happy with playoff rondo but regular season rondo Oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh. So we're going to have to see this season if Rajon Rondo can take on the burden of actually showing up in the regular season or not just waiting for the playoffs because this team, you know, it's touch and go if they still make the seventh seed or the eighth seed as they are. I expect them to be able to, you know, their ceiling should be between that six to eight region, um, especially if the Wizards don't pick up or, you know, the Magic fade away. Um, the Hornets probably don't do too much this season. The Pacers probably aren't as good as they were last season as well so definitely you know the top six teams in the in the in the uh conference Easter conference or top five teams in the Easter conference are a lock with the celtics he uh philadelphia the bucks uh and i'm missing one more i know i'm missing one more but um maybe the paces but you know for me that six to eight position is definitely up for grabs so given these teams are uh, giving this team a a good core of players that can actually provide nba level service night in night out should see them get um more wins probably you know 40 wins this season 30 to 40 wins this season um and that's probably what they need to make the seventh seed in the eastern conference anyway right in in shooting guard um they could have Bogdan Bogdanovic, Kevin Herter um, on the bench. And one one that I really like, one signing that I really, really like that they've made is Chris Dunn, right? Chris Dunn is a player who, yes, he might not be gifted offensively, but in terms of the um, on the free agency market this season, who was the best perimeter defending guard, Chris Dunn was up there. Probably after, um, so in terms of free agents, definitely up there in terms of overall trades, uh, I'd say probably Drew Holiday's definitely better than him from that um, defensive standpoint from a shooting guard, but he wasn't a free agent. So out of the free agents, Chris Dunn probably was the best um, perimeter defender and he can give them a sense of a competitive spirit this season, right? Um, be able to lock down or at least make life difficult for the other teams opposing point guards, other teams opposing shooting guards. This is going to be very important for them. You know, in the small forward position, they're probably still light there. So, you know, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Tony Snell. What you what you want to see this season is that development for Reddish. This is a guy that definitely should be, to me, one of the best wings in the league in the next three years. Right? He has the physical tools he has um the shooting ability it's about putting it together having the iq for the game knowing how to read the game where to be at the right time um understanding that you have to compete every single night okay uh deandre hunter this is a guy who 
came into the league with a reputation of being one of the better defenders in college. He held his own last year where you had a situation when the team is so bad defensively, you know, it rubs off on him as well. So he probably wasn't um, as good as he can be uh, going into this, uh, so towards the end of last season. But this season now with the, with the opportunity to be around good level NBA players that will hold him accountable and also teach him how to raise his level, um, he should actually realize his full potential from the defensive end. Now, one issue that probably could arise for the Atlanta Hawks is the packed front court with the addition of uh, Danilo Gallinari uh, drafting Onyeka Okongwu and also making the trade for Clint Capella last season right the, the 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 Hawks have gone from having absolutely no options from the front court um, having absolutely no possibility of having you know rotation level guys starting at the five or the four except for john collins pretty much you know going through deadman and um uh, fernando and or some you know scrap heap guys right you know now they have pretty much probably the best depth in the league in that position right with collins gallinari Capella or Kongwu all being able to play um, the four and five, except for C Capella, uh, of course. Now, for me, I think starting would probably be Gallinari because you don't pay a guy four years, 80 million to sit on the bench because that's a very expensive bench player. But what you'll find is that this team, even though it is a decision of you know who starts at the four, who starts at the five, how many minutes does Collins get, how many minutes does Capella get, how many minutes does Kongwu get, the main positive here is versatility. You can put John Collins at the five, you know, and have a full small ball lineup of Trey Young, um, you know, Reddish or Hunter or uh, Herter or Bogdanovich if he signs, right? You know, as your two and three, you would have Gallinari at the four, John Collins at the five. That team, that team is scary. That team is scary in terms of four of those five players are still under the age of 22, 23, except for Gallinari, right? Uh, Bogdan Bernanovic, I think he's about 25 as well. You know, if he if he cracks the starting rotation or the closing lineup, probably would be in the closing lineup, right? But you have a situation he probably wouldn't be there for more than two or three years, just to help with the you know the, with the transition of those players. So you know that Atlanta Hawks team definitely, as it's currently constructed, is um, going to be very exciting to watch. Um, and you still have the opportunity for flexibility going forward. Okay, you know whether it's John Collins that you think you can trade or. Uh, Hunter or Kongu, you know, end of the day, yes, you might want to develop all of these guys, but if you can also flip them for a major star going forward, that would be great. I, I you know, I expect a Kongu to develop well. He probably only cracked about crack about ten to fifteen minutes a night, uh, given uh, the the amount of depth they have at the power forward and center positions. You know, but he's somebody that look if he develops very well. You know, eventually you might say, okay, we want to trade a Clint Capella or we want to trade a, a John Collins um, or Bruno Fernando, whoever it is, right? But the Hawks this season are the biggest winners of the offseason to me, right? They have um, the most flexibility going forward, still a ton of cap space um, going into 2021 free agency uh, for a max player as well. And a lot of their best players are on rookie-scale contracts. So you have the option to uh, keep them on earning, you know, uh, what is it, probably six mil, seven mil a year um, for the next two or three seasons whilst they develop. And you can then use them in a sign and trade when it comes to opportunities to, to sign them up to uh, the rookie max or, you know, their, their first proper NBA contract, you know, to then get a big start in. So to me, definitely the Hawks are the biggest winners of this offseason. A lot of depth in the front court, a lot of depth in the back court, um, and then uh, opportunities to develop DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Let's not take that for granted as well. So, yeah, the, you know, we just wanted to focus on a few teams today. So the Lakers, we focused on the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Trailblazers, um, and the Hawks. 
And we're just going to get into some more teams as well going forward. So we'll look at the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, uh, what they were able to do uh, over in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, just use these sessions as an opportunity to start gauging where we think our teams will go into, uh, you know, how they will perform into next season. Uh, so, you know, thank you very much for, for listening to, to, to today's episode and, We'll have more on some of the other teams. And let me know if there's any team that you would like to talk about and discuss any things that you've seen in the free agency market that you'd want to talk about. Or if I've missed, uh, please let me know. Please also make sure that you um, keep up with our social media updates and make sure you follow on our Instagram page at Straight to the Cup. On Twitter, we're at Straight Cup uh, for more videos and content uh, coming up soon. But until next time, cheers. That could be the greatest move I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs>